Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Friday, June 12th, 2020. And I apologize for the lag between podcast folks here, but Drew and I have both been crazy busy the past week or so. I spent the past week to 10 days working on presentations on Zoom that are going to be presented starting tomorrow at the virtual Dayton Disneyana event, where... Drew, you've been busy with your brand new gig, right? You, you, you're now an editor over at Collider? Yes, I am. And I've been doing a lot of Disney-centered stuff. So oh, go over God. there and check it out. Yeah. Yeah, you have been doing a crazy amount of content. <laughs> uh, great stories, by the way. Thank and, you. And if, Thank you. In fact, one of the ones I really, really enjoyed was you got to talk with Kirk Weiss about the Atlantis sequel. Yes. Yes, okay. I did. Now, now, just to clarify here, we are not talking about Team Atlantis. They were going to do an animated series that was then going to end up as part of the Disney afternoon. In fact, I guess it was supposed to form an hour-long block with gargoyles. And, yes. Uh, by the way, I didn't even know until I read your story that there was supposed to be crossover on that show between yes. Atlantis and the gargoyles world, which yeah, would have been it, cool. Yeah, it would have been really cool. But they, you know, the idea was that this was going to be the TV show that, that cashed in on the huge financial success <laughs> of Gladys, the Lost Empire. And, well, there was no huge financial success. Um, a great film. Still enjoyed it, but no success. So they had just finished production of three episodes of Team Atlantis and shut down the show and eventually stitched those together for a home premiere, right? Something, uh, yeah. Atlantis Milo's Return that came out in 94. Yeah, way after the fact, they put out this video. When the appetite was really hungry for uh, <laughs> for Atlantis content, three years oh, later, whenever oh, they put it out, yeah. All right, all right. Don't <laughs> kick. Be nice. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so, so talk about what Kirk told you about this really for real sequel to Atlantis. Well, now I can tell you even more details, Jim, because since I put out that story with Kirk, and, and I got a lot of coverage, actually, um... I talked to Gary, to John, mm-hmm. the head of story, and to Don, the producer, Don Hahn. Mm-hmm. And so now I can give you an even more vivid, detailed description of what the sequel was going to be. Okay. All right, so the movie starts, okay? Mm-hmm. And there's a nuclear submarine. The year is 1950-something. Mm-hmm. But thanks to the crystals, none of the characters have aged at all. Um, so okay. we're in the middle of the Cold War. There's a nuclear submarine. It goes up against the Leviathan, mm-hmm. and it... Kills the Leviathan. And that's when you're supposed to say, oh, shoot, there is something more powerful than the Atlantean mm-hmm. technology out there in the world right now, and it's nuclear energy. Hmm. So that sets up a race against time with two teams, one of which is the survivors of the Ulysses, and the other mm-hmm. team is led by this mysterious figure, mm-hmm. and they're all racing to Atlantis. And the working title uh, mm-hmm. that John told me was... I think it was called Let's Go Get Milo. Um, That was sort of the idea. We're going to go get Milo. There's going to be a lot of adventure and intrigue Mm -hmm. and stuff. And then Mm -hmm. the big reveal, there's this crazy gas-masked figure who's the big bad. And then in the third act, it's revealed Mm -hmm. to be Helga Sinclair, sort of cybernetically enhanced kind of steampunk cyborg. And she was going to be designed again by Mike Mignola. And I think they had actually talked to him about what that was going to look like. Um, mm. and it was going to be awesome. It was going to be just as kick-ass as the first one, but 
it never happened. Oh, you're killing me. You are yeah. killing me. Isn't that a cool uh, setup, though? I love it. No, I love the 1950s. no. I, 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 you know, talk yeah. about getting your attention at the first five to ten minutes of the movie to take out the Leviathan. And I love the idea of jumping the time forward to the 50s. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Is that cool? Yeah, no, 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 that sounds great. <laughs> but kind of the irony here is that, I, again, I mentioned I was working on all these panels and presentations for the virtual date in Disneyana. And it basically, Drew and I got to talk to Kirk within the same 48-hour period. In, in fact, I, I got to tell you, I, I have one more member of the Beauty and the Beast trifecta than you do. I, oh, you no, know, who? You know, you got Don Hahn, but I got yes. Paige O'Hara. Uh, oh, who, that's right. Who, by the way, shared some really interesting stories about her role in the Beauty and the Beast stage show, the the music for Broadway. Oh. Uh, Well, evidently, uh, the way it worked was that Katzenberg really wanted to make this thing, and Eisner was hesitant. But Michael's birthday was coming up, so Katzenberg's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And so they get Paige, and they get Richard White, the guy who did Gaston. And they arranged for them to perform just prior to dinner at Michael's birthday. But they also arrange in the venue to have like a full orchestra there. And they bring in two members of the Adventures Club. In fact, I, I knew one of these guys, Darren DePaul. He played LeFou at the event. And I forget who they brought in. Oh, my God. It might have been Paula Pell. Where was this held? This was this was in New York. All right, okay. so they they fly everybody down to New York. But yeah, Paula Pell, who uh, used to play Pamelia Perkins at the the Adventures Club, who then went on to be like the head writer of Saturday Night Live. But anyway, she does some spots at the event. So anyway, they sandbag Michael. They do this, you know, live on stage presentation. They put, I want to say, Paige said they paid a fortune for a Gucci gown. So she's standing on stage, she looks lovely. They do like this 20-minute cutting from Beauty and the Beast in front of a live orchestra. And at the end of the thing, Michael walks up on stage and it's like, yeah, maybe we should do the Broadway musical. And that's how it actually happened. That, you know, they they sandbag Michael uh, at his birthday. Only Jeffrey could turn somebody's birthday party into a pitch meeting. (laughs) Well, you know. Little weasel. (laughs) (laughs) enjoy your cake and by the way you know would, would you like some beachfront property so um by the anyway. way jim i saw that quibi has shut down during these times and i just want to say i'm sorry i know that you have been watching your bite-sized programming and you just loved the p- platform so much so i just wanted to say you know i wanted to i'm with you in solidarity jim i'm sorry that the, that it's not it's not on right now but it'll be back that's the language that shut down in these times? Yes. It's supposed to be back at the end of July, supposedly. Oh. Probably oh. because of just licensing agreements that they have to put out some of the stuff because they don't own any of the things that they've. Holy cow. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, <laughs> all right. Now, you were interviewing Kirk for a giant Atlantis piece, right? That's going to be... Yes, it'll be out this week sometime. Yeah, it'll be uh, on Collider, hopefully early next week. But yeah, it it ended up being a little bit bigger than I thought. But the whole premise is that had Atlantis succeeded, Uh that the course of Disney animation would be different because there Mm -hmm. would be this this path to Adventureland that they Mm -hmm. always talk about that would be open. Mm -hmm. But that path certainly shut down (laughs) pretty quickly. Now, speaking of it, it wasn't just that. There was that huge plan to bring these characters and this world into the parks. Did, oh, did, yeah. Did yeah, we Kirk covered and Gary and John talk about that? Or? Yeah, yeah. Everybody, 
you're going to tell the story, but they went down to Disneyland after hours and, and mm-hmm. wrote a mock-up of the retheme of the submarine voyage, which had a poster in Disneyland. I mean, th- that got mm. so close. Oh, it did. Um, it did. Have you ever seen that image, too, that, that was a drawing of a giant volcano that the monorail would actually pass through in the yeah, lagoon? Yeah. Okay. In fact... There, there was the crazy budget, the somewhat crazy budget, the affordable budget. And the crazy budget, actually, you took the sub into a show building. You know, you know how the modern day Finding Nemo submarine voyage, you go into that show building that's hidden under the Utopia and you get the show scenes in there. Yes. Uh, okay. The idea was that as you entered that building, you were then attacked by the Leviathan. And your vessel was crippled so badly you had to surface. And you came out inside of the caverns of Atlantis and and actually walked around. I mean, again, this is the crazy budget version. So that's when you see that painting you're talking about where the yeah. monorail is going through it. There's a reason the monorail is going through it because inside there's a, a walk-around equivalent of Atlantis, which you and I both know contained a gift shop. I can only imagine the amount of glowing crystals that they would have sold in there. <laughs> I understand they're doing a healthy business on kyber crystals, you know, just yeah, you know, exactly. up the street at you know, yeah. the Black Spire Outpost. But, but yeah, Kirk talked about at least when they went in after hours and they, they had set up the demo. Actually, the weird part is, you know, he didn't talk so much about how cool it was that they had those pieces of plastic that would hydraulically close in as if the sub was actually being crushed by the Leviathan. What he enjoyed was they had mocked up the audio for the ride. So you had like Mrs. Packard, the radio operator who would patch in Ramirez, the sub's engineer, and they got in trouble. You know, Vinny was like, I, I can get some dynamite. You want me to blow up stuff? You know, just. <laughs> but interestingly enough, the ride that Kirk talked about with more enthusiasm was Fire Mountain, the Walt Disney World version. Yeah. Because what he loved about that, it was, it was, again, it was a coaster that transformed midway through. And you know how they have those gliders at the end of the movie when they're, they're attacking the balloon as they're, yes. they're trying to escape? Yeah, for him, that was the greatest part, that suddenly your coaster car fell away. And, you know, the thing that you're strapped into pitched forward and you're flying just a few feet above erupting lava. So, oof. I don't know. That, to me, you know, nothing says an enjoyable Florida experience. Like, let me stand outside in a humid 90-degree line and then be fly me over lava. You know, I just... I, well, what's so I, funny about both of those attractions were they were based on a scene that really didn't make it into the movie. <laughs> they must have gotten an early... Ver- Imagineering got an early version of the script. They said, this volcano explosion is great. We're mm-hmm. going to do that. And then it, it mostly gets cut out of the movie. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Okay, well, well, as long as we're talking about animated stuff in the parks, um, what do you make of this whole Splash Mountain into Princess and the Frog thing that's over on change.org now? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wrote a piece about it where I, I sort of thought that getting rid of Splash Mountain would kind of let Disney off the hook a little bit mm-hmm. too much because they've done such a good job of erasing Song of the South from mm-hmm. their narrative. And I also think the Princess and the Frog deserves its own ride and not to move into its racist uncle's, you know, haunted house. Um, so, you know. Oh, wow. You know, I, I, 
If you listen carefully, you can actually hear Drew's invitation to the Disney Christmas party falling into the trash. (laughs) Just back up that piece of audio, folks. You're going to hear it clear as day. Um, Wow. You know what I mean, Um, though? I think it it does a disservice to Princess and the Frog to sort of graft that onto Splash Mountain. That's what I think. All right, let's be honest here, first and foremost. The way I see it, this is not impossible, but it's kind of improbable. Yeah. I mean, I hate to bring reality into this situation, but Princess and the Frog, if you actually look back to 2009, didn't make all that much money. I mean, it cost, what, $105 million to make and only sold $104 million worth of tickets in North America? I yeah. mean, yeah. I was, I, mean, I, was, I was sure that that thing was going to be a hit. I remember going to a test screening in, in New York uh, mm-hmm. on one of the 42nd Street theaters, and after every musical mm-hmm. number, the audience applauded. Yeah. But then I realized the audience, Jim, was a little <laughs> festive, if you know what I mean. <laughs> And these were like very perceptive Broadway going mm-hmm. people. And that's why they responded like that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why it didn't work. I mean, maybe because it's called Princess and the Frog and she's a princess for five seconds and she's a yeah. frog most of the movie. There, I mean, there is that. Remember the wall to wall promotion of this thing. I, I would bet they probably spent as much, if not more, on promotion than they did on production. Now, just to be clear here, there are other revenue streams. I mean, there's, you know, home video, uh, pay-per-view, merch. And, and in fact, on the merch side of the fence, you know, I've heard from folks at Disney Consumer Products for years that Tiana, you know, I mean, she's not aerial. You know, she doesn't move that level of merch, but she's a consistent seller year in, year out. The company's very happy with the character Princess Tiana. Princess and the Frog, eh, not so much. So, uh, but at the same time, not to say that a movie that doesn't make money or turn a profit on its original theatrical release can't be turned into, you know, a show or, or in an attraction. Case in point, Hocus Pocus comes out August of 1993, which we all know is the perfect time to put out a Halloween-themed movie. Yes. Um, but today, you know, the Sanderson sisters are treated like rock stars whenever they do that Hocus Pocus spectacular in front of Cinderella Castle at Mickey's Not So Scary. And and you speak of which, now is Hocus Pocus the follow-up or going to Disney Plus? Or I think that's TBD. I think it's probably going to be theatrical. Okay. But- yeah, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker was on a radio show recently, I think an XM show, and she mm-hmm. she heavily implied that all three actresses were going to be back for the next one. So it makes sense to me. Wow. I mean, okay. Yeah. All right. Do you remember how heavily Disney was in the Bette Midler business, by the way, oh, in the 90s? Oh, she was in the original uh, Down and Out in Beverly Hills. She did the, what was it with Shelley Long? Uh, I know, I know she business. did Beaches. Hmm? Big Business was one of them. Big Business with Lita. Yeah. And she was the first to joke about this. Yeah, I pushed Minnie out of her dressing room. You know, it's all mine now. You know. Um, she made so many movies. Scenes yeah. from a mall, which was shot in the mall that I used to go to in Connecticut. It's in Really? The, yeah. The, the Woody Allen one? Yeah, oh my yeah. God. yeah. They chose it because the centerpiece of this mall mm-hmm. are these giant escalators, which mm-hmm. are sometimes used for people committing suicide, not to get too dark. But... Because there's because they're so tall and there's just mm-hmm. a you know a straight drop 
um, that go from the ele- the parking structures underneath this mall, and you go from the parking structure to the kind of higher echelons of this mall on this one kind of escalator thing. So that's why they chose it, because it, it gave you these great long shots of people in the mall and all this stuff, but... And it was close enough to New York that Woody could, you know, get on the train and, at the end of the night or whatever. Of course. Oh, I just remembered it. Did. The Shelley Long thing was called Outrageous Fortune. Yes, And we fortune. have to remember that she was also in Oliver. Yes. Company. So, yeah, there was like a 10-year period where, you know, Bet was in everything. I had forgotten that one of the Pointer sisters did one of the songs for Oliver and Company. I don't think it was the one that just died. <laughs> did you see that one of the Pointer sisters died this week? I did. Okay. I did. There was a time when I could actually tell you what the songs were. <laughs> In the Oliver and Company. I remember Pretty Isn't Easy and isn't it Once Upon a Time in New York City? Was that the first time Mencken? It was the first time Howard Ashman did a song for Disney. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, But it's not in the documentary, I have learned. So. Okay. Well, again, sticking with the Disney animation side of the street. Look, I live where the hell out the woods. I'm never going to see this. But Myth of Frozen Tales, you've seen like two and three times. Yeah, I love love Myth of Frozen Tales. Uh, okay. It's uh, an amazing combination of some of the most exciting talent at Walt Disney Animation Studios, I think, between Jeff mm-hmm. Gibson, who directed Cycles, which is on Disney+, mm-hmm. and yep. Brittany Lee, who I know you also love, Jim, her art and style. Really, her stuff is so clean, so cool. Yeah, so, so to see a world she, – she was a production designer on this short, so to see an entire world – um, mm-hmm. that is designed by her. And the other thing that's really cool that I did, I forgot to put in my write-up, that, but there's actually mm-hmm. 2D elements to this short. So you will actually see hand-drawn animation within a computer-generated VR world, which is so oh, no, I cool. I want to see yes. this. Okay, but well, the reason we're talking about it is the Oculus Quest version has finally become available, which means, ironically enough, my daughter in California can see this. But again, I got to wait till they do what they did with Cycles, where they create kind of a short version that they can throw on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I think that'll happen. Okay. And and speaking of thrown on Disney+, Plus, should I be inferring anything from the one and only Ivan being placed there for August? I haven't heard great things, but I mean, I'm excited to see it. It's a movie set in the 90s in a strip mall that has a little zoo. Yes, yes, yeah. So, as I said in my write-up, you're going to have to take a shot every time a reviewer mentions Tiger King um, in their write-up for for the the movie. Um, But, you know, the cast is amazing. Angelina Jolie, Sam Rockwell, and the creatures Mm -hmm. are created by our friends at MPC who are... As far as I'm concerned, unparalleled in their creature and animal creation. Um, They did Jungle Book and Lion King and Dumbo and Godzilla, and they are amazing. So, Now, I I, got to say, whenever they'd present at the Visual Effects Society, when when they'd come in and do a panel, it was amazing stuff. Then they still deliver the goods. Yeah, they have a really amazing look, and so I'm I'm excited. And and look, just to be clear here, just because you show up on Disney Plus doesn't? necessarily mean you're a bad film onward frozen 2 togo togo seriously i've been thinking i have to watch that again but it's just sort of like okay then, then i need my five boxes of oh Kleenex. my god i'm scarred jim i'm scarred no it's a great movie it really is a great movie uh but again it, you just have to be in the right headspace it's like well like i want to be emotionally battered for two yeah. hours um whereas if we watch artemis fowl we're just battered right yeah or yeah it's terrible jim it is really one of the How? worst movies i've ever seen i think 
How how can that be? It's Kenneth Branagh who did such a wonderful job with Murder on the Orient Express. Cinderella. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Josh Gad. We love we Josh love Josh Gad. Gad. Josh Gad is great in this movie. You can tell mm. he did not have a lot to work with, and he really does mm. well with it. But okay, yeah, it just sucks and is stupid, and I hated it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the author <laughs> described the story as Die Hard with Elves. Didn't get that at all. That sounds very cool to me. It was not the movie I saw. Yeah. And if you watch the original teaser, which was released back in November 2018, you will see yeah. two minutes of footage that is not in this movie, including uh, the great Hong Chow, who was so amazing as Lady True in Watchmen, the miniseries oh. that was on HBO. God, she played right. a kind of like transforming fairy creature uh Mm. not in the movie there seems to be much more adventuring outside of the house uh it's a movie where artemis fowl's father played by colin farrell is kidnapped and they say Mm -hmm. let's go get him and then they don't leave their stately manor for an hour and a half it's um very stupid but hey jim have a have a ball (laughs) Uh, by the way dude just just to clarify here it sucked i hated (laughs) I don't think we're going to see that as the full quote. No. <laughs> you know? There will be no posters with that on it. Okay. I mean, when all you have right. reviewers that are wondering why they didn't just bury it and not even put it on mm-hmm. Disney Plus at all, that shows you how bad. Still, I think Noel might be worse, but, you know, that's just that's just me. I mean, on paper, Noel sounded like... I mean, face it. If you put Noel in the pile with the Santa Claus... For me, it's like, okay, that's the same wheelhouse and, you know, well-written and, you know, with a certain type of direction that'll work. And no, 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 no. No. It was more like Fred Claus, that Vince Vaughn movie from a few years ago. (laughs) Yikes. Well, now... Just to be clear here, that movie is worth it for the scene with the brothers where they got Roger Clinton. Oh, and I, I yes. Forget who else. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There were like two minutes of that movie that worked. So Yeah. That's in Fred Claus, not in Noel, by the way, everyone. Just to let you know. There we go. We just saved you from watching. Yes. Um, oh, okay. All right. Let's talk about something we are looking forward to, which is Distant Lands. Yes. We've got a new clip out. Did you watch it? I just finished writing this <laughs> the reference for this show. Who gets time to watch anything? That's why I'm asking you. You watched it, Yeah, right? yeah. I thought it was very cool. Um, it's the first mm-hmm. four minutes, and it sets up BMO's storyline. Mm-hmm. And BMO is out in space kind of trying to figure out where to go. And it's, it's very mm-hmm. interesting and trippy and weird and all the things that we love about Adventure Time. So I'm just happy Adventure Time is back. You know, yeah. in some form. Okay. All right. I promise. As soon as I'm done here, I'll go okay. look at the clip. Which reminds me, somebody was nice enough to clip something today that they received and sent it to myself and Drew. Uh, in fact, it's from Disney Insider. And for those of you who are anxious about when you're going to be able to get back into a movie theater and see a wonderful animated feature like, oh, Onward. Or Soul or any. Yeah. Yeah. This will kind of give you a hint of what that's going to be like. And we'll get that in just a minute. Okay, so I first of all want to thank Ryan for sharing the survey. I mean, we got this, Drew and I, within an hour of us recording today. So this is hot off of the, there are no presses anymore, are there? Okay. By the way, Jim, this is, this is my newsletter that I used to run when I was at Disney. Mm-hmm. 
The Disney Insider That's newsletter right. was the. That's I think we right. had half a million oh subscribers or something. So I had to I had to mm. make that newsletter every week. It was part of my job that I was not the most excited about doing, but. We had a huge subscriber base, so it does not surprise me that they're going out through the Disney Insider mm. newsletter with these questions. But go ahead, tell us what the questions are, Jim. Well, all right. So this basically starts off with assuming that we're now entering this period where so many businesses are opening, you know, we're rolling back all of, you know, the precautions associated with COVID, which... Not super into that. Not super into that. Not super into that either. No, no, I am not. (laughs) You know, um, so they're asking, assuming these activities are open and accessible to you, how comfortable are you engaging in the following activities? So we have... Uh, start off, and again, the eventual topic of the survey here, going to a movie theater. But they also ask about eating out at a restaurant or shopping in person at retail stores, going to the gym, going to the barbershop and salon, and, and just coincidentally, you get a little further down the list, eh, going to a Disney theme park, right. uh, going to a Disney water park, you know, going on a Disney cruise. And then, interestingly, going on a Disney property tour, like the Walt Disney Animation Studios, which, you know, Disney insiders, I guess. Okay, but again, uh, our choices are would not go, not very comfortable, somewhat comfortable, and very comfortable. Then they ask the same set of questions, only when do you expect you will be comfortable enough to engage in these activities? And our choices are now, within the next month, within the next two to three months, Within the next four to six months, six plus months, or not sure. And then the part that gives me pause. (laughs) Uh, And this is, which of the following would need to happen for you to go back to a movie theater? So, all right, we start with limited number of seats allowed per showing. We have spacing between people sitting in the theater. We have cleaning wipes available uh, all around the theater. We have moviegoers requested to wear masks. We have theater workers wearing gloves. We have temperature checks before you enter the theater. Uh, We also have theater workers wearing masks also. Hand sanitizer dispensers available all throughout the theater. And then it's like, okay, so would you have to wait till all national restrictions have lifted or just local restrictions have been listed? Or is it a case of you'd have to wait till a vaccine was available or hearing from doctors that, you know, the virus had been contained? What are your thoughts here? That sounds like any of those things sound like absolute misery to me. Like, why Mm. would you want to do that? You can just stay home and watch, you know, I don't know, the parallax view for the hundredth time or whatever. You know, (laughs) there's just no reason to do that. And I don't I understand Mm. the need to reopen. I understand the economic imperative. But, I mean, even just seeing these universal pictures of, like, olive oil and a mask, it's just horrifying. There's nothing joyful about it, you know? And I, and I can't imagine this happening. And I, all, the other thought I had was I wondered if maybe Disney was going to try to reappropriate that AMC theater in downtown Disney. Ooh, okay. Um, Interesting. You idea. know, the, which has been okay. shut for almost two years now, I feel like, at this point, right? I mean... Yeah, yeah. Um, but, well, remember, that was supposed to be where the new hotel was going to be dropped. Right. But interesting that they have here, which of the following emotions describes how you feel about going back to a movie theater? And I, I want to just tell you, folks, these are some very unfortunate sounding dwarves I'm about <laughs> to introduce you to. 
I mean, we have Happy, but we also have his, his brother doubtful and hopeless and sad and critical and worried and upset. But the other thing here is the end of the survey, or at least the end of the chunk that Ryan was nice enough to share with us, uh, with, you know, which Disney films are you most excited to see when you're finally comfortable enough to go back to the theater? And here we go. We got Mulan. We got Black Widow. We got Soul. We have Rhea. Uh, we have Quiet Place 2. Is that a Disney? No, it's not. That's weird that they put that in there. Yeah. Okay. And then the Eternals. Okay. So. Well, I was telling you right right before the show started, they bumped back um, Tenet, which was supposed to come mm-hmm. out before Mulan. Now is coming out the week after Mulan. So if uh, battling COVID wasn't enough, they've also got to figure out what they're doing in relation to the newest Christopher Nolan event. And yeah. the other thing is that Wonder Woman got pushed to October, but before they officially announced the October date, they had pushed mm-hmm. through on the official channels. It was this sort of montage of marquees, and the marquee said Wonder Woman 1984 Christmas, or sorry, Thanksgiving 2020. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying you might not get Wonder Woman for Halloween, but you maybe will get her for Thanksgiving or Christmas. So okay. keep an eye wow. on that stuff, and- yeah. And face it, the fact that Tenet has now been pushed back behind Mulan. Yeah. In fact, you know, remember the, the language that Disney used, that they felt like Tenet coming out ahead of Mulan, yes. it would give them a pretty strong indication about whether people are going to come back to the theaters. And, oh boy, do you think Disney's going to you know, hold? I, I could see, I mean, see it taking the Kingsman's place in September. I think mm-hmm. that's somewhat likely. So, I don't know. We'll see. When, got a lot of... You know, the movies I, are backing up, Jim. they gotta, gotta they got to get them all out. They are. Look, you know, one of the things that makes movies enjoyable is the communal experience. You know, all of us being together laughing or being shocked or that sort of thing. And, and in fact, you know, one of the great communal experiences, at least as far as movie going, was Pocahontas in the Park, the premiere that was... In fact, Drew was the one who pointed out... 25th anniversary this week, yeah. June 10th, I think. 1995. Yeah. Were uh, you there, Jim? No. I, I oh, okay. Well, I tried. I tried. Okay. I, they offered 100,000 tickets to this thing. And the way it worked is there was a lottery. And you mailed in. And if you won a ticket to the event, they sent you a pass for four people. And Disney supposedly had 500,000 people enter from all 50 states, you know, trying to get into this thing. Because the weird part of it is, remember, you know, the year previous, 1994, we, we had The Lion King, which, you know, had become, at that time, it was the most successful animated feature in the history of Hollywood. And so, you know, Disney felt like, okay, you know, we want Pocahontas to make that sort of splash. We need to do a big premiere. And so they came up with this idea of holding a premiere in Central Park on the Great Lawn. You've been to, to Central Park. Oh, yeah. You, you know the space yeah. I'm talking about. I mean, this yes. is 13 acres which it's where you know, the summer stage is, if anybody has ever there we done, go. gone. Okay. Yeah. And in order to, first of all, they promised the city of New York a million dollars to, you know, look, up front, we'll cover all of these costs and setting aside a $300,000 just to cover police and sanitation. So it comes time to actually put together the movie theater. I want to say they built it out of shipping containers. That they, they yes, they did, you know, they brought them into yeah. the city and they built four screens, eighty feet tall and hundred and twenty feet wide. And they then built, I want to say, 
four 10-story tall projection towers where they installed two 70-millimeter cameras each with the idea that the movie basically is being screened simultaneously on this giant cube in the middle of the Great Lawn. But there are literally four screens that people can sit in front of and watch. You know, so they had 1,500 construction workers in there because they had to get all this done in, in three days. And you know they haul in hundreds of porta-potties for what the, the company has advertised as a family Woodstock for the 1990s. Right. And you know, so 40 miles of cable are laid, and they, they set up 50,000 watts of light to light up the park. So you know everyone always feels safe when they're at Central Park in a, a 400,000-watt sound system to back up the film. And, and the problem is I'm sitting here reading the official press packet for this and come across one of these stats that makes you go oh they talked about how it took the exact amount of power to run the Pocahontas at a park event as it did to power the World Trade Center so it was like yeah yeah so so anyway the gates open at two o'clock on June 10th and it's an overcast day, you know, and it's a couple of sprinkles, but it never really rains. And of course, this this being a New York event, you know, just outside of each of the entrances, you know, there are scalpers lurking who work, you know, it's like for $50, I'll see you to pass. And, you know, the, the people come in, they lay down their, you know, their blankets and their picnic baskets and they make a full day of it. And it doesn't get started till it gets dark, which again, this is just before summer so it, it takes fairly late right. uh but they have a pre-show with a lot of of disney stuff and in fact just before the film started vanessa williams got up on stage and sang of course the colors of the wind theme song but the interesting thing is ernie sarbella the, the voice of pumbaa from the lion king was was her opening act and it makes sense again because the year previous lion king was you know disney's giant hit film so okay well, you know, let's remind you of this and uh, drew you and i actually got to interview ernie at the they did a lion king walt disney home entertainment that a, a presser yes. at animal kingdom like two years ago three years three ago three years ago yeah okay. that was the that was the trip that katie met me there and then moved out to california she was coming from Brooklyn, and that was her halfway stop. Holy cow. Oh, yeah, I didn't so, know that. Oh. Yeah, that was the beginning of our California life was that junket, actually. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. Pretty fun. Yeah. Well, again, getting to talk with Ernie, he shared a story about, again, getting up on stage, and here he is performing in front of 100,000 people. And, and again, he's a, a stage veteran. He's been up on stage in some of New York's biggest theaters where there's 2,000 people, there's 1,500 people. And, and Ernie being Ernie, you know, up there, I almost crap my pants. You know, and it's just sort of like, yes, of course, that's what I want to hear Puma saying. <laughs> Can you imagine this thing happening now? Uh-huh. Every single person with an iPhone would have taken a video, a legal video of the movie, and mm, it would be up online. No. It's such a, it's such, oh no, it's time idea no you're, you're not wrong you're not wrong and and the interesting thing is the pressure then built the following year to well how can hercules is coming out you know how do two we two years jim two years that's you're, right you're missing the, out on hunchback that's right uh, but the same pressure applied because didn't they do yes. a parade through the streets of new orleans then, oh yes and they that's then right. showed it oh my god they showed it inside the dome the Superdome, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Which, yeah. <laughs> they would not do that today. Jim, they would not do that, that today. They would no, not do no. no. I mean, to bring this full circle, yes, Nancy and I did not make it to Pocahontas in the Park, but in, so this would have been 97, right? So yes. when, when they did the Hercules Electrical Parade through the streets of New York. 
That we saw, uh, you know. I'm obsessed with that premiere also. Especially because there was like a have and a have not after party uh, where some people were, were at a kind of like base level party and they had they were in some tower near the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were, I think, two sets of fireworks that were, I mean, it was crazy well, uh, it, what they did. But re- remember where the, again, if we're talking have and have nots, where did the haves end up? Uh, <laughs> uh, you, uh, yes. Yes. They were, again, they were in the World Trade Center. They were up yes, at the were. crossroads of the world. In fact, who was it? I forget who was telling me the story about. They were at the party up there, and Jennifer Aniston was at the time Tate Donovan's. Yes, I've heard these stories too, Jim. Yeah, just sort of like, you know, it's, I, I want to meet Jennifer Aniston. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just always interesting where these stories go. So yes. Um. Oh, speaking of things uh, going, production is underway again on Mission Impossible, right? Yes, soon, soon. Uh, yeah, they're gonna start in September, I think. Okay. So until then, we've got a lot of great episodes coming up. I told you, Jim. We talked to Gary Rydstrom and Roger Guyette, and uh, this week we started our two-part interview with. Uh, Joe Kramer, who mm-hmm. did the really great score for Rogue Nation, mm. um, which I'm sure you love, Jim, because you're a, a lover of a more classical sound. Okay. And again, this is for your Light the Fuse podcast. Yes. Which, yes. which by the way, again, Every Friday. folks, if you haven't heard the crazy supersize 100th episode, People are still talking about that. I know, I know. It's crazy. You know, it's cra- I, it's, it gets brought up in interviews with people and all I love stuff. that. I just, I, yeah. I, I love that this show has caught on in that way. You know, they would that a few of the Jim Hill Media Podcast shows do that well. <laughs> I mean, wow, we got we got Disney Dish with Lentesto. We got Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. Uh, we got, the, you know, the looking at Lucasfilm that I do with Dan Z. Dan says hi, by the way. Uh, let's see. We also have the uh, marvelous one we do with Aaron Adams, the gentleman who edits a lot of the shows here. And, of course, I want that with Michelle Valladolid, uh, who, by the way, we're getting a new one of those up out of the ground. And Shelly came up with an interesting idea for, uh, you know, face it, you know, in this era where you have to set up something on an app to get into shop. Right. Um, she came up with an interesting idea. She reached out to the Silverado Vineyard, you know, the one that Ron Miller and Diane Disney Miller set up in the wine country. Yes. And got herself one of the more recent vintages set down. So, oh, that's fun. So we're going to have an adult-themed show. All right. So to tell you what, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend not only fine tuning, but also light the fuse. Again, terrific show. Uh, That would be so helpful. Likewise, if you like what you heard here tonight, if you get over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool. Okay. uh, Light the fuse social media. Yes, light the fuse pod mm-hmm. uh, on everything. So, but and you're also your own because again, I, every so often Drew's a delight on Twitter. It's just sort of like you know, <laughs> the, the other, the, who is he setting fire to now? It's like oh, <laughs> there, there we go. I, so, I I'm pretty mild, but sometimes I get a hair up my butt and I gotta go after somebody. But uh, yes. Drew tailored like a tailored shirt, um, mm-hmm. so you can see all of my crazy articles and uh, everything that's going on there. So yeah, and, check and, it and out. S- seriously, folks, do you, if you were not already paying attention to the stuff that, that Drew is putting about Collider, again, it's a scary, 
amount of content. They, well, you, get ready you, for my get ready for my Dick Tracy piece coming no, up. Oh, um, really? Uh, yeah, it's it's ex- it's completely researched, so I didn't do any new interviews, but it is exhaustive slash exhausting. And I even have a quote from Mr. Hill in there about the um, Dick Tracy's Crime Stoppers mm. attraction. Mm. Um, so get ready for that. Speaking of which, and I think you and I talked about this when we were over in... Remember how Disney Animation decamped yes. over to that building? The, oh, yeah. Tukunka? I had to go over there so many times, Jim, because they were there when I was at Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, th- that's the building, right? That is. That's the that's the exact building they set up the mock up of the Crime Stoppers in and, and where all the, the wives of the Oriental Land can company yes. executives just, you know, went nuts with the automatic weapons. You know, just Well, I think it's so funny that they didn't even have a ride vehicle. They bought a thirty one something and yep. just drove it like hell. Uh, Rafferty tells that story in his great recent book. Yeah, Fantastic Journey. Uh yes. get over that, that oh yeah. God. Oh. So well, get ready for that, Jim. Okay, okay. And speaking of which, and I, forgive me, folks. I apologize because we've all been very busy, which, but it doesn't mean we're not working on Sorry You Missed It. In fact, we've got a couple of things we're going to do on that show. And in fact, when you were watching the coverage of the protests, did you see the stuff in Atlanta in front of the CNN building? Yeah, yeah. I bring that up because Drew and I, as part of the series, will be talking about the theme park that was inside there, the, the Sydney yes. Marty Croft thing that got built. And I, I couldn't help but think, if you're, you're breaking into the building, could you get a couple of pictures for us? We're you know, going to need these for the presentation. So Yeah, there's a, the ghost of H.R. Puffin stuff haunts that, those halls. <laughs> okay. I can, all right. There's the grace note we were looking for for the end of the show. So, all right. Thanks for listening, folks, and we'll be back with a new episode soon.